Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. In the beginning, God made everything and it was good. Our fellowship with Him was very good. But our rebellion shattered every relationship. Our sin brought the curse of death. We can see that things are not the way they are supposed to be. Our world is broken. We long for our redemption. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into our world. He lived and died and rose again before returning to his Father's right hand. Soon, Jesus will return. Every eye will see Him, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain for sinners who overcame, and He will make all things new. Even so, come. Lord Jesus. Mm. Revelation chapter 2. This morning, the title of the message, The Persecuted Church. The Persecuted Church, No One Enjoys Suffering. What if being a follower of Jesus Christ brings suffering and persecution upon us? He actually promised that it would. Loved ones, are we prepared to lay our lives down for Christ? Have you already laid your life down or does that need to happen today? For the good and gracious King who laid down his life for you. Some of you may have, or you may have read this book growing up, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Early on, this, next to the Bible, and Pilgrim's Progress, if you were a good Christian household, you had this book. This book is our history. It's our heritage. It's how apostles and church leaders throughout the centuries have been willing to lay down their lives simply for naming the name of Christ. There is a command and an invitation in this message for anyone who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And Jesus, when he was on earth in his ministry, he was crystal clear in his call. His call was not to accept me into your heart, his call was not to add me to your life and put me on a shelf. His call was to lay down your life. 
Luke chapter 9, 23, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his death. That's all that cross meant, your death. Daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Gain it all, lose your soul, what have you in the end? Grew up singing the song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. This book is filled with it. The pages of scripture are filled with those who suffered. May God give each and every one of us this morning ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and to us as individuals. Revelation 2, the second church on this Circular mail route, Jesus here to through John, Revelation 2.8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who, who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews, and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of the Lord. So as we enter in the same format that we did last week, each of these seven letters... They all would hear the letters, each of the churches, but Jesus begins with an introduction. And so this next church on the route, it's to, it, the introduction is given, and it's written to the pastor and the people of the church at Smyrna. So again, the pastor and the people of Smyrna, this is who the letter is to. This is from Christ, and it's given to this church. It'll come on the screen. To, all right, the pastor and the people of Smyrna. Again, that word angel or messenger, it's the one who brings the good tidings, the good news. And the pastor there at one point was John the Apostle. John prepared other men, and one of the younger men that heard his ministry and would have been in the hearing of this letter in the church of Smyrna, his name was Polycarp, and one day he would become the pastor. And I just cannot but help think what young man is hearing a message in this church and God is going to move in your heart and you're going to trade out all the things that you're chasing for that don't last forever and you are going to be called into ministry and one day maybe you're filling a pulpit here or somewhere else that happened in Smyrna John the Apostle invested into other men and one of those young men grew up and became the pastor in 115 AD and his name was Polycarp we'll come back to him a little later so this message 
is to the leader of the church. This message is to the believers at the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Let's dig into a little bit about this city of Smyrna. It was known as the crown of Asia. All right, so it was a rival city to Ephesus. They competed. It was the crown of Asia. There's a photo that'll come up of the Agora. The name actually means there's myrrh, okay, myrrh, myrrh in the name Smyrna. All right, and you remember, you think, that, well, I'm have frankincense, gold, frankincense, and maybe you were one of the three wise men in a play as a kid. Yeah, it's in there, a, a burial spice. The name means bitter. Remember that in the Old Testament? Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, for I am bitter. It's in this name, bitter. Myrrh was a substance that was taken from a thorny tree. Myrrh was brought to the Lord by those wise men. It was mixed with the drink offered to Christ on the cross. And it was brought by Nicodemus to the burial of the Lord, mixed with all of their spices. And he brought, it was about 75 pounds worth. He wasn't hiding that he was a follower of Christ anymore. The city was located in a large and wealthy seaport. You'll see this picture come up. You get an idea of how this city of Smyrna had a very different port than Ephesus did. The picture will come on the screen. That's a very different port. This one, you can get the waves in, clear it out. You're not going to get backed up with silt. So this is still a booming city. And they made a lot of money on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. It's about 35 miles north of Ephesus. The residents of Smyrna, there were two groups that made it difficult for Christians in Smyrna. There was a large presence of the Roman imperial cult, all right? There was a, a temple there to Sibyl, and there's gonna be a photo of a coin come on a screen. And in this, she was the, the great mother goddess, okay? So we still have found in archeological digs this individual that was kind of the same. There was a temple there to Apollo and all kinds of other gods located there in Smyrna. The way the city was structured, they would, you could just look at the city coming from the seacoast and there would be temples everywhere, idolatry everywhere. Sabel's temple was located on the eastern side of the city at the end of the street of gold, it was called. Sound familiar? She was Smyrna's patron deity. She was the one regarded as the divine being who was especially responsible for the well-being of the city. It was also a place of emperor worship. You'll see a citadel come on the screen. Caesar was worshipped there. The citizens there in Smyrna were loyal devotees to Rome. On one account, there was a Roman army and they were struggling and it was cold. And they say the city, Smyrna citizens gave up their coats and clothing to give them to the Romans and the Romans never forgot it. And so they, they, they treasured this city. They had been spared and, and rescued by the citizens of the city. Nestled in the middle of this city was a little band of people who were in love with Jesus Christ and they were being persecuted and they were being killed. But the more they were kill, killed, the more they were persecuted, the sweeter their testimony became. The more the followers of Christ, that following grew. Now Romans often didn't distinguish between Jewish people, Judaism, and Christians. To them, 
it's an intramural discussion. We don't even care. And there were provisions given to Jewish people, to Israelites. And so through Jesus, an Israelite came, you know, he's Messiah, comes the gospel, comes the church. But Rome, this was small potatoes to them. They didn't really care about some carpenter of Nazareth. He's a Jew. And so they didn't even want to distinguish them. But the persecution increased when Israelites wanted to be distanced from followers of the way, from followers of Jesus. And so they were the ones often bringing the heat. Many Jewish people there in the city rejected Jesus as Messiah. And that group was often antagonistic against those believers. There's a picture that will come on the screen of a fountain. And it's kind of hard to see on the screen, but you can see written there, Smyrna. This is a jewel city. Today, Ephesus, we saw it last week, is just all but deserted. It's just ruins. But here in Smyrna, it's about four and a half million people live there. It's a booming city. Izmir is the name. It's in Turkey. It's Turkish for Smyrna. And you'll see this photo will come on the screen, on the screen and it's a mixture you see the ancient ruins, but can you see right through the ruins, right through the agora, you see there's, there's life. Four and a half million people. The church was heavily persecuted, but there's still, still believers in Izmir today. It's so interesting when you hear what we just read from Revelation 2 in contrast what we learned about Ephesus last week. They were probably planted out of the church at Ephesus. Hey, we have the gospel, we have a church, but what about Smyrna? They haven't heard. And probably they planted that sister church. Who's the letter from? It's from Jesus, the eternal God and resurrected Lord. So now Jesus again references back to the description that John has already given in chapter one. And each of his descriptions are unique and meaningful to each of the seven churches. And the description that is most comforting to the persecuted church, Jesus says to them, I am the first and I am the last. The prototype. Protos. And eschatos. First and the last. This is an undeniable claim to deity. He is God who became man. It's most reassuring to believers who are encountering, encountering great tribulation. I'm the first and the last. But Jesus is also the one who died and came to life. Well, in order to die and come back to life, you have to be human. So here we see his humanity, his deity, and his humanity right here merged together in the God-man. Jesus revealed himself to be the conqueror of death and the Lord of life and you need that when you're going through fiery trials. So he reassures the persecuted church by reminding them exactly who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you remember when he said that to Martha, John 11? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Because if you do, then death is just a doorway it ushers us to resurrection life. 
Yeah, we just sang that. I about lost my voice on song number one today. I'm going to have to pre-record my messages or something. I don't know. Now let's get to the message. What does Jesus say to this church? He gives high praise. High praise. The highest praise in verse 9. That Jesus knows what they're experiencing. And the word that he uses here, oida, the word know is, I know by experience, not by observation. I know what you're going through. It's a strong word used in Scripture. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I know them. And Jesus knew that these believers in Smyrna, he said, I know you're suffering tribulation. I'm present with you. I understand what you are going through. I see it. I'm not removed from it. I'm not disconnected from it. The original word there is thlipsis, which means affliction, trouble, anguish, persecution, extreme pressure, probably because they refuse to say Caesar is Lord. They refuse to offer incense and offerings to the pagan temples and to the emperor of Rome. Their refusal to do that would lead to unemployment. It would lead ultimately to extreme poverty. So just for a moment, if you can just close your eyes and you think when this letter is being read, they've heard the letter to Ephesus, now their name comes up and they hear Jesus talking to them and how many of them have been saying, I wonder if he knows what we're going through. And Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I know your suffering. I know your tribulation. I know what you're going through. And there they are. And if they open their eyes and they look around, there's, there's some missing seats, all right? So we have some empty seats. If they were there gathered, there were empty seats because those people were either in prison or they had already been put to death. It's gonna change how you worship. It's gonna sift through what you really believe and what you heard and what you just thought was interesting when your life was on the line. They were living in poverty. They had nothing. But Jesus actually claimed that according to heaven's economy, they were actually rich. Here on earth, they appeared to be insignificant, minute, bankrupt. But actually, they were wealthy in grace beyond measure. God's assessment of a church is far greater than anyone else's. Being large as a congregation or small doesn't make you holy and useful and righteous. It's not about size. It's about the content. It's about Christ-centeredness. It's about the presence of the Word and the presence of the Spirit and the people's submission to the Word of God and the Spirit of God and us loving Him and loving one another and dwelling in communion with Him and communion with one another. There's two Greek words for poor. And the first one comes up when, when everybody looked at them like, they're, they're, they're poor. Panaya is the word. It refers to someone who has very little. Someone has to work hard to get anything. And, and somebody might be saying, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Check the economy lately. But that's not the word used in verse 9. It's a different word. Tokia is the word, and it means absolute, complete desolation. 
The people couldn't get jobs. They were robbed of what they had. No one stood up for them. They were plundered of the things if they did have something and no one cared. They were living in a desperate situation. When Jesus in Luke, 12, in Luke 21, he uses these words, these come up in this account. Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor Pentecost, okay? Poor widow, everybody looked at her, poor widow, put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, I tell you, this, and here he used that word, tokas, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they contributed out of the abundance, their excess, but she did it out of her hysterema, deficiency. She has nothing left. She put in everything to a system, hoping that that would merit God's goodness and salvation. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, if you have anything left, you have failed in giving offering to the Lord today. He doesn't say, good job to the widow. He's making an assessment of the situation. They looked at her give, and they knew she was poor, and she, he said, no, no, she's more than poor. She gave everything. She doesn't have anything left to give. That's how much she's subscribing to this religious system through the temple. And then a few verses later, he says, when the, 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 the disciples say, Jesus, look at the beautiful, beautiful temple over there. And he said, it's all coming down. This system built on the backs of widows like that, instead of saying, no, 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 man, you take that back and let me help you. Those religious leaders viewed God has punished this widow and let's help God punish this widow. We're doing God a favor. And Jesus said, it's all coming down. That is not the love of the Father. That's the word for these believers there. But Jesus continues, he said, I know you're suffering tribulation. I know you're living in poverty, but I know you are authentic in faith. You're the real thing. I know the slander. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but actually they are of the synagogue of Satan. See, Jesus knew the truth about his church. He knew the truth about the enemy. Their enemies in Smyrna were often the Jewish people. They were Jews by national descent, but not by spiritual descent. John chapter 8, if you write it down, we're not going to go there. We don't have time this morning. But that's the account where it comes down to the point, the highlight of who is this Jesus. Now, loved ones, we must all guard against anti-Semitism. Paul's disposition toward the Jews was not one of, let's, let's go after these people he was one that said in Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, Jewish people, Israelites, is that they may be saved. Notice that he did not turn vindictive, but he knew Jesus died for my sin. He showed me mercy. And down throughout history, if you only zero in and you look at these, this persecution that was happening to the church at Smyrna, and wouldn't it have been easy for them to say, God, don't you care? And these people, look what they're doing to us. Shouldn't we go at them? Shouldn't we deal with them? Don't forget Paul's heart toward his own people that were often so violent to him. 
He, uh, he would say in that section, if I could give up my salvation and my countrymen would come into the knowledge and salvation of the Lord, I'd do it, but I can't. That's an individual response to the goodness and grace of God. The Christians in Smyrna, they weren't just wrestling with unbelieving Jews. They were wrestling, Jesus says, there's a synagogue of Satan there. Everything that they're going through, it offers no salvation because they missed the one who is the savior of the world. His name is Jesus. Ephesians 6.10, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Think about this when you watch the nightly news. Oh, the people from name the country. That's not your biggest problem. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but here's the real enemy. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present, and it continues to get darker. Present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Jesus says, I know you are authentic in faith. I know you're the real thing. I know who's imposters, and I know who the genuine believers are. Secondly, there was no problem according to Jesus. It's only true of the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. There are only two churches that we can write this down, and Jesus has nothing. Now, if you can gauge the spirit of the believers in Smyrna, they're probably wondering, like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yes, you know we're in tribulation. You know we don't have anything. We are completely impoverished. And you know that we love you and we want to love you more and our faith is genuine. Now, what is he going to say? And, and my heart condemns me. And what is he going to say that we need to deal with and we need to get right? And it never comes. There's no condemnation. He has nothing negative to say to them. They're being pressed, they're being crushed, and Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. But he does have a plan, and he gives it to him. He says, let me give you a plan. In the face of increasing danger, Jesus gives to the church a prescription. He gives two commands. Two commands for them. First of all, he says, do not fear. Do not fear. Well, you're about to suffer. Oh, it'll be intense. It'll be intense. But it'll be limited. Read the book of Job. It was intense. But Satan couldn't go one iota beyond the permission of God's sovereign and gracious hand. He said here to them, he said, let me give you the, let me give you the plan. Let me give you what's about to happen. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. The temperature is going up in Smyrna. Now, if you're in the church, you're thinking, that's not really what we wanted to hear. And he's, he's being honest with them. It's not hidden in the fine print. It's right there in the clear. John MacArthur says it this way. An interesting fact about myrrh is that it has to be crushed before it gives forth any fragrance. The more it is crushed, the more fragrant it becomes. The same thing was true of the church in Smyrna. The more the people were crushed, the sweeter the aroma. 
The more they were stomped on, the, the more the word caught the fragrance of their faith and love. The crushed church is the fragrant church. God permitted Satan to bruise that church, and the harder he bruised it, the more he released the fragrance of its grace, and the more devastating its testimony became. These are believers, to borrow from Braveheart, just read it in our, our book we were studying through, going to pick a fight. We're not laying low, and we're not hiding out. We have a mission and so the Lord says, your testing is going to be intense. But let me also say this. It's limited. And he says for 10 days, you'll have tribulation. For 10 days, you'll have tribulation. What does that mean? That means it's limited. All right, That's, that's terminology that says it's not going to go on forever. It has a window of time and it will expire. And Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says this. And he looks, and you, have you read what Paul went through? Shipwreck, stone, left for dead, actually killed, fled out of city, snakes, all of it. And here's how he portrays this. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, if you're given prayer requests, don't you want to go maybe after Paul? You know, you don't want to say like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I cut my toenail too short this week. You know, I mean, just, oh, just, I don't know. We had to cut back. Could only get a half gallon of milk, but then you could pray for me and go ahead, Paul. Well, I was uh, stoned and yeah, still dislocated here and uh, still bleeding over here and like, oh, my goodness. But I want to tell you, this light momentary affliction let me tell you, it's doing something. It's actually my servant. It's actually the suffering to the Christian is our slave. It's working for us. Do you think about, do I think about suffering that way? Okay, Lord, I'm suffering. How are you using this suffering to crush me perhaps and let the fragrance of your glory fill everywhere I go? That's a different perspective that the word of God by the spirit of God changes us and we embrace humbly for our gracious king. And he says, so first command, don't fear. Don't be afraid. I got you. Don't you hear that, that love? Like, come here. You remember those little kids, they ran, they sat on my lap. Disciples, get the kids out of here. And he said, come on, suffer not. The, let them come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, I want you to be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. Now, here Jesus is giving them two commands. You're going to go through intensifying persecution, and from the Lord he says, do not fear and be faithful unto death. Who does he think he is? Oh, he's the king of all creation. Let us look to the one who's at the finished line of this life. And by God's grace, loved ones, let's run through the tape. You ever watch the runners and they run and then they, they check this shoulder this way and the guy's over here, the lady's over here and pass them? They didn't run through the tape. James 1 and verse 12, the half-brother of Jesus, he says it this way, by the Spirit of God, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Be steadfast. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, his running analogy here, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, read chapter 11, you see the whole cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And where do we fix our gaze? Where do we fix our eyes? Looking to, what's his name? Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see why the church needs scripture like this? And if we are just living, not engaging, not ever picking a fight, not ever shining the light, then these verses almost don't have a context for us. But if suffering intensifies... Oh God, keep my eyes on you. Fix my eyes on Christ. Well, his rebuke still hasn't come. And now he moves into the conclusion. And the church would have been like, whoa. He didn't have anything negative to say to us. We were waiting for it. That church probably would have received it. They probably would have helped Jesus. Like, yeah, well, we're not doing all we should be doing over here. Well, we could be doing better over there. You know anyone like that? Like you're running circles around everybody. Just enjoy the goodness of God. And here we get an empowering promise from the Lord Jesus, okay? So they're beaten down. They're crushed. They're under the load. They're being persecuted. But now Jesus gives them a promise. And this promise, they're able to to pick up their shoulders, able to stand up straight. They're able to kneel in strength and trust the Lord. Again, he says, if you have ears to hear, do you listen? Can you hear? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can I ask you that again this morning? You're going to get it five more times. Do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying? What am I meaning by that? What is Jesus meaning by that? Does what the Lord Jesus says in his word through his Spirit, does it move you in your life? Does it change how you think? Does it change how you function? Does his word, is it your command or do you view it as a suggestion? Do you have ears to hear? This message is for every individual and this message is for every church. And he says, I have a reward for you. A reward, faithful conquerors will receive the crown of life unharmed by the second death. He gives two promises. First of all, promise number one, we already saw it. You will receive the crown of life. He promised that in verse 10. Overcomers, you receive the crown of life. Be faithful, be faithful. And those who conquer, second promise, will not be hurt by the second death. Unharmed, untouched, unscathed. The first death, loved ones, will eventually take us all out unless Christ returns first. But the sting of death, the power of death, the penalty, the presence for a believer, gone forever. Completely defanged. 
completely harmless. No threat, no fear, no final victory from death. And Jesus did that for us. This is for the child of God. Maybe you've heard it this way. Born once, die twice. Born twice, born again, John 3, 3. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born from above, born of the spirit of God. Born twice, die once. Can I ask you pointedly this morning, have you been born once or have you been born twice? Have you confessed your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, which what it is, that's what it is to be born again, to confess your sin to him and confess, confess Christ as Lord? Paul boasted in the sustaining power, Romans chapter eight. Just listen, listen to this scripture. We just read this with the family this week at the bedside of one who went home to be with the Lord. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall, Smyrna, tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul says, no, no, in all these things, we are, read it with me, more than conquerors. Okay, so we talked about, last week, the KO. Now, Paul says, Hooper Nikael. This is super conquering. This is over conquering. We are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. And then Paul says, So therefore, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. And where is that love of God found? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? That's the confidence we have. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Do you know this love? Have you been forgiven and adopted into the family of God? Or is today the day for you to say, here I am, I surrender to the good and gracious king? I'm gonna invite the praise team to come. I want you to come. I'm closing with an illustration. It's gonna come on the screen. His name is, I mentioned him earlier, Polycarp of Smyrna. He was the pastor there for about 60 years as I mentioned, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. And let me tell you a little bit what comes from history, church history, about this church at Smyrna. In Smyrna, there were a group of Christians that were brought. They were brought before the authorities, and all of them refused to worship the gods. Resting in Christ, 
They scorned the pains of the world. There was a man named Germanicus, and he was an elderly Christian. Just, just think about this. This is, this is the guy, you know, at your church, and you always knew him, you always loved him, you always saw him, and they brought him to, tile, to trial, and they said, come on, you're an old man. All you have to do is say Caesar is Lord. Offer an offering. All you have to do is say death to the atheists. That's all you have to say. And he responded, he has no desire to live in a world with injustices like this. The crowd, they got mad. All he had to say was death to the atheists. That's what they thought the Christians were because they didn't have any visible gods. And then their rage turned up a notch and they said, get the pastor, get Polycarp, bring him here now. The word went out, Polycarp fled, he was hiding, and a child found him, reported him, and then they sent the, they dispatched the authorities after him, the soldiers to get him, the officials. They show up and there he is, and he says, why don't you eat before we go? He feeds them a meal, and he says, can I pray for an hour? His hour of prayer turned into two hours, and those who showed up to get him, to arrest him, were looking at each other, wondering, what are we doing here arresting this man full of grace and full of prayer who fed us a meal? Why is all the vengeance of authorities going after this guy? But they brought him. Polycarp is brought to the stadium, came a voice that's reported from heaven, be strong and show thyself a man, O Polycarp. Whew. They appealed to his old age. Come on, you're an old guy. All you have to say, all these people are watching in the stadium, all these enemies of Christians. And all they say, the, the governor says, all you have to do, old man, is simply say, away with the atheists, the Christians, the people who don't have visible gods, can't see your God. And Polycarp, you're going to love this guy. He says, away with the atheists. Well, that didn't help the situation. The judge is insisting, all you have to do is swear by the emperor and I'll let you go. And this is what he replied with. Eighty and six years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So they went on back and forth. And then Polycarp, when they threaten him, here comes fire, we're going to burn you. And this is his response. This is what I meant by pick a fight. He said, thou threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why tarriest thou? Bring forth what thou wilt. Bring the fire. Bring the match. We're told they came to nail him to the stake. He said, you don't have to nail me to the stake. The grace of God will hold me here. I'm not going anywhere. They tied him there. They brought the flame. They brought the flame. They lit, and the flame went around him like a sail and didn't touch him. And so there they are, and they're thinking, what are we going to do with this guy? Listen to how he prayed. He said, O oh Lord God Almighty, the Father of thy beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers and of every creature and of the whole race of the righteous who live before thee, I give thee thanks. 
Thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour, that I should have a part in the number of thy martyrs, in the cup of thy Christ, to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption imparted by the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, also I praise thee for all things. I bless thee. I glorify thee, along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory, both now and to all coming ages. Amen. Like, just imagine this. And all the governors and the soldiers and the military, they're all there. All the enemies are watching. All of the people that brought him to trial. And then they come and they light the fire and it's around him and it's not touching him. And then they begin to smell an aroma in the room and it's fragrant, not like burning flesh. Then they realize he's not going to die by fire. Go, And they take and they stab him. And church history records his blood came out and quenched the fire and he laid down and died and those people now just imagine for a moment if that's your pastor in the fire what do you think that's going to do to your church this wasn't a gig this wasn't a show this was genuine one thousand percent real and they tried to smash out the church just brought the fragrance up more and it filled that stadium and it filled that city and it's filling the earth now let me ask us the question what is your next step what is your next step if you're gonna live your life boldly for Christ and we're encouraged by all of the Saints that have gone before us what is God calling you to do where do you need to surrender? Where do I need, as a church, where do we need to surrender? And live for the glory of God and the praise of His Son, Jesus Christ. Take the step now. Let's stand together. Father, you are so good. You are so great. You are so merciful. You are so powerful. Jesus, you are eternal. The first and the last you died and you came to life and you live and you reign forevermore and we will reign with you and we will see you so Lord we don't know what's ahead of our lives we don't know what tomorrow holds we don't know what today holds but you hold it all and you hold us and you are right here you are with us through every up every down every trial every blessing and you are good and you are faithful and we trust in you and help anyone who's listening to me right now and they've never trusted you that today they say I admit I'm a sinner I deserve hell and I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who is God and I plead the blood of Christ fill me come into my life own me have me I give my life to you and may we live out all our days for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray and all God's people said amen so let's sing it thank you again for listening to teaching from the word at Grace Community Church we are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.